0: everyone this is ida josefina and you're listening to say new world i'm super excited to be on the mic again after a nine-month hiatus off the podcast but we're back now under a new name and brand and with equally exciting ideas and guests say new world this new podcast will feature researchers technologists and thinkers to discuss the pursuit of ideas in this first episode, I'm delighted to tell you that I'm speaking with Molly Bilke. Molly is the solo GP behind Moth Fund, an early-stage focused venture fund that aims to increase the agency of exceptional individuals. She previously worked at Figma, Notion Stripe, and the browser company, specializing in storytelling in all its forms. On top of that, Molly's also a writer, and as you'll hear in the episode, she has somehow managed to have three different sub-stacks, so I'll make sure to link them in the episode description. In this episode, Molly and I talk about a lot of things, how she ended up moving from New York City alone as a teenager, her journey from film school to becoming a venture capitalist, and how she relates with the pursuit of ideas through books, writing, photography, and more. This was incredibly fun to record, so thank you, Molly, for that, and I really hope that that comes through when you have a listen to the episode. So without further ado, here is Molly Milky. All right, I'm here with Molly Milkey. Uh, Molly, it's really great to have you on. I know that we've had some Bluetooth issues previously, so I really <laughs> appreciate you taking a second shot at recording this episode. Um, how are you doing? I'm great and so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Good, I'm glad. Um, so. This podcast, uh, we're sort of re-releasing it under a new name, say New World, and um, we'll still be talking to different technologists, researchers, and thinkers uh, about their ideas. So sort of similarly to SANE as a product, I'm really curious about just sort of digging into the deep end of people's personal experiences and how different experiences really led them to become who they are. So I thought we could start there with just that question. Um, would just love to hear about your background and what would you say or maybe some of the notes or significant experiences, influences, moments that led you to become who you are? It's mm, a great question.
1: Um, I've had a pretty long and circuitous route. I started when I was a kid, I was always the art kid. And so I feel like I kind of experimented with almost every medium that I could get my hands on. And I think photography was probably the one that really stuck with me um, and persisted through my childhood. And I loved it. I did film, I did digital, I did everything. Um, And then I got really into filmmaking in high school. And I started making my own short films and realized I loved that. And I think what I really loved about that is how collaborative it was and just how it was this moving storytelling medium where I could kind of like move people's parts and minds at the same time. And it was just a really potent storytelling medium and so I became super dedicated to um getting out of my tiny town I grew up in a small rural town in northern California and going to film school um
0: I I actually didn't
1: know that you're from California I yeah I never which that's surprising most people are like you are so obviously from California (laughs) really (laughs) yeah um i'm from mendocino which is like this really small coastal rural town yeah
0: oh my gosh yes i know it did you Amazing. Did you know that i lived in walnut creek Um uh, i did not know this what for that's like so seven close. years <laughs> yeah from when that's i was incredible. nine to 15 i had wow. no idea <laughs> i See? feel like we just like grazed through this part we just <laughs> never touched on where we grew up where we're that's from that's hilarious wow i love that so much i feel like yeah very
1: similar northern california influence it's, it's very yeah. distinct yeah <laughs> sorry um, I cut you off no you're totally good I think that was one of my first nodes though, was like filmmaking in high school. It, I was more just inspired to kind of like document the beauty around me and tell stories in it because Mendocino is like a gorgeous place. And and that is what um, I got the filmmaking bug. I decided that I wanted to go to NYU. I graduated high school really early. I was 15 um, and I went to New York City and lived basically alone. And so that was like a huge jump from oh, wow. the smallest, like 1K population town to New York City, probably one of the biggest cities in the world. Um, and so I think that that, uh, there's a lot of like kind of shock that came with that. And I think the shock was also partly realizing that film wasn't everything that I would made it out to be in my head. Um, it was much more hierarchical. And I also just realized pretty quickly that I couldn't actually afford NYU. <laughs> and <laughs> despite even, uh, liking the the classes very much and like the liberal arts education I think I I found myself more drawn actually to like the writing classes and becoming more Mm. of just like a a thinker and an artist and and meeting a lot of interesting people and learning from them than I was actually drawn to like the more filmmaking craft and so when I was looking at how much did I would have to take to stay at NYU I was like there's no way this is worth it because I'm like pretty unsure that this is like the right thing for me anyways and so I um decided to transfer schools because I'm from California um, and there's a lot of good schools in California that are in-state and much cheaper, and UCLA happens to be also a good film school, so I knew I could kind of, if I got in, I could finish my degree there um, and not have to, you know, do extra years or anything like that. And so I I only did one year at NYU, then I decided to transfer, did community college for a year to do credits, um, and then I started at UCLA, and I did, I find I did actually get a degree in film even though I, COVID hit while I was in college. So I kind of checked out of college. (laughs) And that was a blessing in disguise, because I think that brings me to my second node, which was, I just started working full time, basically two years before I graduated. And I've always been into design, I stumbled across Figma. And I was like, wow, you know, democratizing design, that's a really interesting mission. And so I, I reached out to a bunch of people there, got to know them. And I realized, like, these people are exceptional. And there's something interesting about these tech people and like their vision and ambition. And um, I got a job there to start working on, first, it was like Figma for Education, which was like a program of like, what should we do for students? And it encompassed a lot of different things, but it kind of got my hands in a lot of different pots. Product marketing, more thinking about PM, design, all that kind of stuff, branding. And, And then I, once I was in like the tech world and working, I was like, I never want to leave. Like, I love this. This is amazing. Unlike um, entertainment where it's very, you know, spend five years running coffees and being a PA tech is like as an intern, you can own a project. (laughs) And that was crazy cool to me. Um, and the people were just really, really intellectually curious and, um, very open and warm. And there was something about that, that I was like, I want to be here. (laughs) And so I, I did the same thing kind of at notion where I kind of pitched them on a project, came in, got to know everybody, learned a lot, worked full time as like a, I I found my niche in finding companies that didn't have internship programs and then being like, hey, I know you don't take interns, but can I just like come and work cheaply? And (laughs) I will be, I will learn a lot, but I will be hopefully a joy. (laughs) And um, by the time I graduated, I was consulting for a lot of those companies as well as a couple others, um, like Retool and the browser company and then Stripe Press. And I kind of found my niche working on more like either working on the narrative of the company with founders and more kind of talent brand things and like how do we make ourselves interesting to the most talented people in technology which usually meant uh, doing something that is uh, a little bit more liberal artsy kind of like attracting them by putting out bad signals in the right places so that if you get the reference you're probably like a good culture fit or I was helping more with kind of brand um, media projects stuff like that and I, I kind of just like use my entertainment background to be like, "Hey, I'm one of the few people that is in tech, but also like can make movies and podcasts." I and can make you
0: stuff. entertaining.
1: <laughs> exactly, that was like the pitch, <laughs> uh, but in an objectively interesting way, hopefully. Yeah. Um, and so that was kind of the I think the second node. Yeah, was like Sigma, Notion, just tech in general.
0: Yeah, and then, I want to uh, yeah. I want to back up a little bit. Just to, did you yeah. say that you were 15 when you graduated high school and then you went to New York at yeah at that age? Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean I was a very headstrong stubborn child I was like I'm getting out and I'm doing exactly what I want to do and no one can stop me (laughs) and then once I got there I'm like wait I don't want this I don't like this at all
0: (laughs) that's super intense because you have to wait six years to be able to have a beer (laughs) that's like exactly because in the U.S. it's like children are children so much longer anyway you know it's like really
1: prolonged adolescence yeah yeah
0: so that's super crazy um is there, I'm like really curious about that period. How long were you there? And like, when were I was there for when, a year. A year. So, and then you went to yeah. L, you went to LA. Yeah. Like, how was that whole period before sort of, well, turning 21, I guess, I don't know, or 18, <laughs> or 18 yeah. at least that like, what was it like, what was like, what was your sort of like, especially like your intellectual relationship with the world? Like, does it seem like yeah. it was super intense? Or did you feel like um the world is my oyster? And I like, I can play here
1: I think huge fluctuations like sometimes I would be like I can do anything the world's my oyster I'm completely independent I've earned this like I fought so hard to be on my own fending for myself can do anything and other times I was just like I can't do this this is insane like I'm completely alone um and the hard thing too about New York City and being young is like most social stuff happens at bars and I couldn't do that so I was kind of a little bit ostracized but I did get very comfortable being by myself and I think that that actually was in the long run, a good thing. Um, and kind of like what I like to say, just kind of like making my own games, seeing the beauty in the world and capturing it, just kind of enjoying my own company. Um, and I think that my intellectual journey really was uh, kickstarted when I went to NYU. The, I had a mandatory writing class called Writing the Essay that I had to take for a year. And it's notorious for being a terrible class um, to most freshmen, but I got a really good teacher and I loved it. And he was, it was basically just like, a very well-rounded, um, liberal arts education. They had us reading all kinds of different, usually cultural criticism and, um, argumentative essays and just basically giving us a taste of like what good writing and good Mm. literature and looking at the world and ways of seeing things can look like. Um, and I, I basically, I got way more into that than I got into the filmmaking (laughs) and I would just rewrite and rewrite and rewrite and, I think he got really sick of me, my teacher, but I, I learned so much. And I think that's how I got like an appetite for uh ideas. Like it's what shaped what I have become interested in, which is usually I define it as I'm just interested in like how human beings work. Um yeah. and especially like human potential and how that's actualized. But I'm also interested in like how the most exceptional minds think about things and like different ways of seeing reality. Um one of my favorite books that I read in that class is Uh, called ways of seeing by john berger and it's one of my all-time favorite books and it's just basically gives you a lot of different lenses of realizing how kind of meta we can be and how we look at ourselves and look at the world and all that i think that that's like a a recurring theme in like my interest too is just like how do other people see the world and how what can i learn from them yeah um but it's always through the lens of people
0: uh i haven't even heard of that book. I'm <laughs> excited really to read good. it. I I'm highly definitely, recommend it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, I guess that kind of like what you're saying is sort of a precursor to the probably the next note. So how did you jump from um, working with these companies and these founders and these narratives to wanting to become an investor? And you, I mean, <laughs> I, I know what you do, but our audience probably doesn't. So maybe yes. you could give the whole, whole roundup. Happy to. Um, it was definitely like,
1: Kind of from first principles, I I started investing as a Sequoia Scout through my consulting because I realized I should be investing in these companies. And then I realized, wait, investing is like this ideal relationship where when I invest, I'm incentivized to help at a high level kind of forever. And that's what I was actually looking for um, in the companies that I found and wanted to work with because they had amazing talent and brand and vision. Um, I wasn't actually so keen to be constantly looking for like a consulting project for us to collaborate on. And so that's what kind of um, opened my eyes to venture. And then I went out to raise a small $2 million fund at the end of last year that was going to be, in addition to my consulting, just so that I could put larger checks into the companies. And it was enough interest um, that I realized, hey, I could scale this up and like make investing my full-time thing. And what was interesting about that was the more investing I did and the more I met with brilliant founders and fundraised and, like, told the story of what I wanted to do and, and met investors that I really admired, um, the more I was like, wait, I can totally shape this into something that fits, like, all my goals. And I've, I've always kind of known I wanted to work for myself and start something, but I thought I needed to start a company to do so. But I realized that, like, a, a fund is kind of a small company, just the product is money and <laughs> and a brand and, and your help, whatever that might be. Um, and I think that, that that just kind of, like, it all cobbled together to be like, wait, this really works. I should lean into this and make it the one thing that I spend all my time on instead of kind of fragmenting myself between the consulting and the investing and all this different stuff. Uh, But I think the specific node was I had some early um, LPs and like believers in my work that really kind of showed me that there is room for me in this world. And they they modeled that more from being people that I admired and the way that they were doing investing was something that I could, See myself doing as well, which is really mostly quietly. Like, I think the commonality between the investors that I really admire and have learned a lot from is that they usually operate in a more like, if you know, you know capacity of they trust the taste of other people and they let those people bring them interesting people that they think are cool. And they're not as like loud, they're not on Twitter marketing themselves and their money. Cause I don't think like marketing money is usually the best way to do it. I think. Usually you want to have more filters in place so that you're actually getting high quality um, people and interesting <laughs> interesting ideas coming your way. Um, and I think that this is something that I, I still think about a lot. Is like, what is the best way to create bat signals that bring the right people to me as opposed to just people quantity, period? And that's the nice thing about a small fund is I can be very, very selective. And I only have to answer to my LPs about who I pick. And even they invested in me because of my taste in people, not because of like, access to a sector, which gives me a lot of confidence that, like, I am really just trying to understand the founders that I talk to and see if I believe in them, um, and less about, like, oh, how does it look that I'm investing in an AI company now or something like that? Um, and I think another part of that node was, like, I just started reading a lot more stuff about the early venture capitalists. The Power Law is an amazing book. Um, I'm really inspired by Michael Moritz and his book, The Little Kingdom. He's the founder of Sequoia, and I just think, like, an amazing talent judge um and i think i was like looking around i got a grant from emergent ventures and that's run by tyler cowan um and he's not like a venture (laughs) investor but he is an investor in people and i think i've been inspired by a lot of these people that really like embody investing as like a people business and like relationships business and then i was like i think i could do that and i think i have like a brand in mind that i want to actualize that will like bring those people more to me so it, it was definitely like a long process, but I eventually reached you know hundred and ten percent conviction that like this is the best option
0: that's amazing um I'm really excited about moth fund right that's the yes um and it's just you and you've mentioned to me that you're like quote interested in new funding models uh, and <laughs> do you do you wanna do yeah. you want um Sort of open up what you mean by that, and also like I'd love to hear a little bit more about um, maybe also for a lot of our listeners might not be familiar with uh, like the venture capital world or the startup world necessarily, like how you're thinking about um, investing yourself versus what might be like the traditional like VC model. Yeah, totally. And then after that, I'm really curious about digging into like this um, in relation to the like like how you think about ideas and writing in general, and I think we could create a little. Uh, triangle nodes in between them <laughs> <laughs> perfect yes
1: well so first for context on moth fund um it's a small five million dollar fund i write 50 to 100k checks it is sector agnostic i'm really just aiming to bet on exceptional people that's like the entire thesis i invest at pre-seed and seed and i usually help founders um with <laughs> anything they need at pre-seed and seed which is usually oftentimes kind of like emotional support thinking through the narrative and the brand and like how they should be positioning themselves but also just like being there and being someone who can be a dot connector for people that I come across that I think they should be in contact with um I think oftentimes that's kind of like the most value you can provide is just putting people in touch by being someone who talks to a lot of people (laughs) um and, and I think that like my interest in new funding models was born more from my graduating college knowing I wanted to start something but not having an idea for a company and not even being convinced that I wanted to start a company. Um, and I, luckily I did, like I mentioned, I got a grant and that grant was very meta. It was to explore grants. <laughs> and, <What>? <laughs> <laughs> and it was basically like, I was really interested in how do we make more small um, personal grant programs that are um, picked by usually like one person and their taste in people. And they're very unapologetic about that because I think, I have long seen, and this is more from my upbringing of my mom working in nonprofits, that like consensus opinion that is reached by grants being chosen by groupthink is not actually good. It's usually just, it filters for like the most safe, boring projects that are not going to really move the needle on innovation. And obviously, it's a little bit different in nonprofit world. But I, I do think that is somewhat true and translates to venture as well, like with larger partnerships where it's kind of, you're picking something that's defensible. Um, and trying to like look good and get into hot deals and things Mm. like that like that's a that's a very legit game and that's mostly the result of venture being uh, a more mature field that now is like larger establishments that have to raise more money and they have to deploy more but I do still think like as proven by small funds having still like the highest returns of any type in venture um, that there's a lot of money to be made by just basically unapologetically uh, picking people that are one person's taste. And so I think that that was interesting to me because I think that that's one of the few ways that we can um, have more, like, innovation within technology is, like, making bigger bets. And usually those bets are on people very early. And I think that one of the main ways that you can, um, like kind of sound more seeds of innovation is making bets on people even earlier than them having an idea when they're even just like a person exploring and venture actually isn't set up for that as well as much yet like i think that betting on individuals is still like i actually i need you to have like an llc or a c corp or something to invest like that's you need an idea a company something But I do think that there are smaller things you can do, like giving small grants. And I have a a tiny grant program attached to my fund where I give 5k checks to people that are just exploring ideas that are really promising. And they're usually young people, because I think it's a really high leverage um, time at their life to make a bet on saying like, hey, your ideas are valuable, you should keep exploring. Um, And I, I don't even have there's no contingency clause about like, you have to start a company at all. It's more just like, please keep going like it's okay you don't have to take an internship or a job or something like that um and i think that that's these are all just kind of like ways that i am interested in just kind of widening the funnel at the top (laughs) and i think some of that can be like venture and just making riskier bets and so smaller funds and things of that sort some of it can be grant making again being a little more shameless about just like funding things that are more people uh, because grants are like a rare funding apparatus that can do that um but another area that I've also been interested in within more investing in businesses is like, there's a lot of uh, companies that are technology companies or lifestyle businesses that are perfectly revenue generating, but they're just not venture scale. Um, and I think we're definitely going to be seeing this and we already are from a lot of the companies that were started in like 2020 and 2021. And, yeah. uh, but I, I think that that will just only increase, especially because like, there's something to be said for, at least in like the ca- category of and sector of more knowledge work. It's pretty oversaturated with software. There's not a lot of things that are still going to be 10x or 100x, mm. which is what venture wants and what they deem a success. So, how do we fund things that are going to be smaller scale returns? That's something that actually I just don't think that we have the right funding models for. And it's something I'm very interested in. Um, and there's like been some innovation with like seal notes and things of that sort. So that there's some kind of fallback for even if you're not going to be a huge outcome, you can still do like revenue sharing. Uh, yeah. But I still think there's like a lot more that could be done for they're not small businesses. They're like medium sized businesses.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like Common fund. There's the fund. Yeah, exactly. Fund, you know? Yeah, they I do love that what they're now. doing.
1: Yep. Yeah and um slow ventures has experimented with some interesting things
0: too oh has of,
1: okay yeah with like investing in individuals even too like YouTube, oh yeah that, that's that's the other stuff. thing
0: yeah, yeah that's the other thing i was gonna ask like what do you think about like human shares because like yeah. also the the <laughs> lieberman brothers you know daniel and david lieberman um right they're yes somewhat yeah. uh famous for this as well besides sam and yeah. at low um into this kind of like human funding model and when I was 19 I was so I was like I was looking for this I was googling if there's anywhere I can get I feel like I
1: was too yeah I didn't know the words but I was definitely looking for this yeah um I think the problem first of all I I think any innovation in the space is great it should all exist I'm really happy that these people are doing it I think though that right now like where the Overton window is at it still feels predatory (laughs) and I'm not sure how to like change that. It's more of a cultural mindset shift, but there's something about like investing in a person that um, like, I think everyone is, (laughs) they kind of conceptualize it as, well, you know, if they have a huge outcome, then this person's going to get maybe like 20% of their earnings. It isn't that bad. Like, isn't that not, they didn't earn it if they just like invested in them as the first bet. And then it's an investor that did nothing to really like cause their success. And I think that's valid to a certain extent, like, you know, should someone be able to take such a big chunk of your future earnings? Um, and doesn't that feel kind of, kind of wrong? But then at the same time, you have to realize that like, it is a really risky bet to bet on a person. And if you're willing to do that, then you should be able to stand to make huge returns. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that like, there's been some other experiments people have done around um, investing in people as groups or even like group houses have done this sometimes of like hey you can invest in us as a collective and some of us are going to have huge outcomes and it's going to subsidize others of us that are not going to have huge outcomes and then there's going to be maybe a bunch of middle of the road ones that feels a little bit better to me in terms of like the predatoriness um just because it's like you know we're all in it together we're all going to rise up and i do think like investing in friend groups is actually like a really smart strategy um Oh my but god. I, <laughs> <laughs> but see what I mean? It sounds kinda of wrong. Like that's the thing. It's like I don't think that this has been normalized to well, a Well no, extent. I don't
0: think it sounds wrong. I just think that like um it's a bit like premature in our sort of collective thinking to get all the way yeah. over there because I think like one of the arguments that I've heard presented about this like investing like into people human share thing is like imagine if sort of all of us were investing into younger people which would give them a lot more resources um to do stuff in the world and we thought about it not as in expecting like 10 or 100x return but expecting like 0.9x return and we actually thought about it as sort of like an investment in the way that we think about education these days and it's enabling like younger generations to be so I feel like this like collective sort of others will balance other people out and we can sort of think about it as um, a community or collective that we're investing into is like probably exactly the direction that we want to be heading into but yeah um, I feel like that's probably going to be really hard to pull off and that's why there's this sort of like middle step of like weird Silicon Valley stuff <laughs> in the, <laughs> I think it's really in the really middle, true. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm like, really, I love the idea of like where this could go and what it could actually represent. Um, but I yeah. think it'll just take some like public discourse to get there.
1: Totally. And I think it, it also, I'm much more bullish on the like investing in groups as opposed to investing in, even though like my thesis is investing in exceptional individuals, that's more kind of like, because I'm looking for outliers and that's kind of how venture Operates and the business model of my fund, but I do think that there's really something to be said for investing in groups of people, just because that's also solving for the uh, common, you know, hurdle of you know people aren't usually islands. Some of them are, and I want to invest in them. But a lot of times, they actually need to be put in very ambitious environments where they're actually learning from each other, and they will be re- they'll reach much higher heights because of that than if they were completely solo. For sure. Um, and so I yeah, think that yeah, anything that incentivizes that, and the incentive really does need to be baked in that it's like everyone like together actually working together. Otherwise, they will kind of like stray off.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting that you said that because I really I have like such a personal experience with like when I'm an, on an island by myself versus when yeah. I'm like it's crazy like I feel like every time I'm in in New York or in, in London for like well in London even just for a few days because I used to live there and I've spent significant amounts of time in new york i mean in london new york less but it's crazy like um grace Isford from Lux capital said that it's like the density of serendipity is just so high when you're in a place like new york city that things just happen more because we're all interacting more and i thought that was such an accurate way of seeing it because it really reflected my own personal experience like i i feel like i just get so much more out of myself when in those environments like constantly interacting with all these incredibly interesting ambitious people and why i'm so like i'm not saying i'm not i'm against remote work but i don't want to (laughs) i personally don't want to build a like a fully remote company because i just like yeah it's a it's such a different energy like to be interacting with like not just your own team but the city and the environment around you in which you're all participants of like active participants of
1: yeah Um, and we're social beings too i think it's interesting, too, to compare, like, NYC and SF just because I think they both have really high degrees of serendipity, but, like, San Francisco's serendipity is constrained, constrained basically to a one sector. <laughs> like, there's a lot of serendipity within tech, and yeah. that's why it be, it's, like, a hotbed and amazing for technology innovation. But the nice thing about New York City is it's not just tech. It's so many other things, and to me, that really, like, strikes to the definition of or how i personally define creativity which is usually dot connecting disparate ideas from like different areas of the world in new and uncommon ways and i think nyc just totally incentivizes that more Mm. (laughs) so many amazing people in so many different walks of life um and i think that's why it's like usually a better place to start a company that's more like in the hotbed of culture or trying to be um, and trying to like do something new and different uh versus tech is going to be very good at technological innovation and spurring that but it's it, it might find it hard to like really have a pulse on other things or get different ideas mm-hmm. in a way that will actually influence culture.
0: Yeah. And actually that kind of relates to what you, I was going to make a point earlier when you were talking about like uh, that we have so much software and knowledge tech and it's just, yeah. you know, it's going to be hard like harder to maybe build these like super big companies because there's just so many and there's so much innovation yeah. within that. Something I've been thinking a lot about and well, our team at Sane is thinking a lot about is like, how much tech has just optimized for productivity and the sort of like productivity, like through software has been like the goal. And there's a lot of buzz in that, but I think that I'm really curious about how we can use technology to uh, really move away from like thinking about future of work as about productivity to the future of work being about creativity. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's actually like an entirely like new sphere. And that's why I'm like uh, really welcoming a lot of that injection of culture outside of the of the technology sector when thinking about software, because I I actually think that there is like this entire like sphere to be unlocked about enabling individual people's creativity at a whole other level than what we're used to, because now Mm. it feels to me that we're increasingly more and more sort of like functionaries that we might like be able to allot some time to creativity, but it feels like a privileged in this sort of like very overworked world in many ways where we are all sort of like, just, yeah, I don't know. Um, cogs in a that. wheel. <laughs> yeah. And I no, and I'm I'm really like excited about AI being a potential unlocker to actually getting away from the world of total work or total labor to a mm-hmm. world in which we can all think of ourselves potentially primarily as creatives, in which we play a part of society, but perhaps the essence of being human will actually be something besides a worker.
1: Yeah. It reminds me too of like Heidegger's kind of framing of like. The different ways that technology can augment humans and it can either be it replaces us by becoming creative itself which I personally am not excited about that world <laughs> or it actually just augments us and it's like a co-creator um this is what I wrote my thesis on in college too it's like how can tools do that for people and, and actually just spur more creative thought yeah. and I still think it's like it's a really delicate balancing act and it's really interesting right now in the moment we're in with ai is just because you see it's so clear the different kind of factions that have arisen with different visions of like what technology could be mm-hmm. um and yeah I, I definitely want to invest more in the the co-creation aspect and like creating more human creativity
0: yeah <laughs> same plus <laughs> one for that yeah. um going back to ideas <laughs> yes. um I'm like, just maybe this sounds like a bit of a silly question, but how do your ideas get shaped? Like, how do you like, (laughs) Mm. like if you're in the world and you see something, you come across something, you read something, um, someone tells you something, how does that develop, for example, into an essay? You write a lot. And I actually really, I read your piece. um, I think you titled it Confidence that you just published yesterday. And I really liked it because um, you talk about sort of like finding your voice and then finding the confidence to share your voice. Um, and I think that connects a lot with my question of sort of where do these ideas come from and how they, how do they develop into something that you're able to vocalize? Hmm. It's a lovely question. I think,
1: um, I was very encouraged from a young age to be extremely curious. I think my dad actually kind of drilled into me that like the value of you as a person is how curious you are, which for better or worse, like very much worked (laughs) to make me curious. And I don't um, ignore those curiosities. I think a lot of people kind of push them down, the questions that arise about the world as they kind of walk within it. I am, am pretty, like, shamelessly exploring them all the time. And I think I'm much more interested in people than I am ideas in general, but I'm interested in the ideas that people host and why they're interested in them. And I think that works quite well for, like, my my role as an investor because i'm constantly just trying to kind of like understand the people in front of me and like how they think and kind of create a model of like how they see the world or what motivates them but i think the actual process of like me being interested in ideas usually as a way of like explaining a phenomenon that i saw in the world that was complicated in a way that i didn't understand but i wanted to have some like concise kind of witty explanation for that I can hold and I think that's why I write usually is I'm I'm writing to figure out what I think and then I'm editing to like actually change my thinking usually because oftentimes what I write first mm. is wrong and then I read it and I'm like that's wrong actually why is it wrong and it's like that line of constant questioning that's kind of like refining my thinking and, and I think sharpening like the way that I think in specific directions I think I I do though I'm constantly like I I'll write, I'll like come to some kind of working conclusion. And then I just will do a bunch of research. I'll be like, who has said what about this in the past? That's kind of like how I, I do it. I like form hypotheses and then I kind of like test them. And I text my friends all the time about like, hey, I'm looking for something that like talks about this specific weird subject. Oh, cool. It's usually a human related <laughs> thing, <laughs> but they're really helpful. And i kind of like, I know the people to go for, to for different things and what they're deep on. And, and then I, I like to read a ton, um, And I think I'm usually interested in um, people that are really deep on topics and and understand like, yeah, how humans work, how they kind of like see the world, that kind of stuff. Um, And then I I go back to like writing and then kind of like write my final kind of, this is my conclusion of my little small story that helps me understand the world around me. Yeah. And... And I, yeah, I publish it because I think it, it kind of like, it's more of a bad signal to kind of like find people that think similarly, or it could be potentially maybe helpful in some way to someone. Um, but I think, yeah, it's, it's really about just kind of assembling all these stories that I can kind of like hold as a patchwork quilt of like, this is the world that I'm in and how I, I see it. Yeah, um, I love that. And then I, I collect a lot, like I'm constantly saving things, sending them to people, making lists. Writing, screenshotting, all that kind of stuff. I just I don't want to like lose stuff. I'm very forgetful, and I'm constantly taking notes all the time.
0: (laughs) The the problem is when you have to start taking notes on your notes. Like I feel like I (laughs) I I capture something, and then I'm like, where do I put a reminder that I've captured this? Completely. Uh, Yeah. When do you write? Like, how much do you write? Like, what does that? Do you have to like really actively carve out time for it? Do you feel like you have that sort of space in your leisure time, or how does that like? How does it work in terms of time? I think
1: I'm writing like all the time. I almost feel like sometimes I'm writing in my head. Like I don't think I know how to turn it off. It's kind of just how I see the world is with trying to pinpoint the exact precise word or phrase or sentence to define what I'm seeing. Um, and so I'm constantly taking notes that then I kind of put into different docs and buckets of like different topics. And I I write every morning. I usually do kind of like free writing and then throughout the day I'll just like put notes into different things and then I'll kind of like shoot them off in different directions um and I actually like bless my friends hearts I kind of use them as notepads (laughs) sometimes (laughs) I'm kind of like I'm just like talking I'm just like I just love to chat but I'm chatting about stuff that like I want to remember but I've found people that like to do that too so it's kind of like a reciprocal thing and it's a great way to kind of like reflect and recalibrate thinking um but I think I'm just like a very I'm not verbal but I'm just like very written like I want to understand the words And then I think I do more like deep writing and editing, usually in the afternoons, like at least every other day. Um, I'm lucky that I found a job where writing is a huge part of it. And so I'm constantly like, you know, collecting the stories that I include in my investor updates of like how I met a founder, um, collecting notes on like things that they said that are interesting that I wanted like to dig into and understand and who I should talk to about this and all that kind of stuff. I like collecting questions too that I i have been asked or I've asked that we're good and it yeah. interesting insights um so I think I'm kind of a, a forager like yeah so that's the way that I can just define it
0: yeah or like someone told me that VCs are like anthropologists with money and I thought that was really <laughs> accurate
1: that's hilarious and very funny and yes I love it yeah
0: true yeah, yeah I have to give credit to Neil from BetaWorks for that uh, that's amazing yeah that's really that's really nice um how do you feel like I was thinking the other day about, because um, we're thinking a lot about how to build um, like discovery, like deep into the future for saying sort of like our ultimate dream of like how discovery can work in a more like a serendipity engine or creative way where people can fall down these like beautiful rabbit holes of whatever they might be interested in. And yeah. one thing I've been thinking about a lot is um, like how you can sort of classify ideas because for me it's not just about the information it's all also about the sort of feeling that the idea gives and the feeling that the idea gives has a lot to do with it's like um linguistic construction you know like so like i loved the other day i I was reading like um this like little tiny book by uh nietzsche where he writes like about how people become who they are related Mm -hmm. to this sort of podcast and other things that writing about and doing related to um related to sane and i love that he described that one of the most um some of the most important or greatest elements when it comes to thinking about how people become who they are it has to do with nutrient climate recreation mm-hmm. i forget the fourth thing and it was sort of like super weird it's like it's very like the words are weird it's like a it's a, like a really nerdy thing um but it made I me feel it, yeah. like Oh, I love how obsessive this is, like to try to analyze your nutrient, nu- your nutrition when you're, you know, 10 years old and thinking about how that relates with how you've become who you are today. It's like so obsessive mm. and so nitty gritty. And it made me feel like um quirky and lighthearted and all of that. So it wasn't about actually like the... The message of the idea it was literally about the linguistic construction of it that made me yeah. feel lighthearted and quirky and like want it, wanting to capture and save it and to use it for something and uh, so how do, like yeah well this is like more of a ramble than a question but no. do you resonate with that or do you have any reaction to like how yeah. you think about ideas when it comes to emotions or feelings
1: 100% yeah I think it's interesting it's funny you put that quote in our not to be meta in our prep talk and I saved yep. it I, I clipped it oh. and I copied it and put it in <laughs> my <good>. collection um, <laughs> like, that's great it's so yeah. because I think like the best linguistic constructions and words and phrases and just like writing in general is something that like it should spark new ideas it, ma- it should make you think at least in my head that's like best case scenario and for me that phrase definitely did I'm like oh that's really interesting yeah. I do think that um I have benefited a lot from uh being a bit of like (laughs) someone who comes from a weird background within weird nutrients aka like storytelling film all that kind of stuff and then was transplanted into an environment that tech uh that is is remarkably different and trained on very different influences and ideas and I think that has made me stand out in ways that I have both benefited from and it's made it hard in some ways but I'm not complaining I think it's net much better after I kind of like started embracing those nutrients is like what makes me me as opposed to being like oh I should conform and be like them um but I think that I'm definitely like because I was trained on the more storytelling nutrients and grew up in a more artistic environment um I I just naturally think much more in like feelings and emotions and stuff and I I don't categorize stuff by like you know (laughs) <laughs> in my head it's not it's not marked by the information source or the the time period or anything like that it's just like how it made me feel like yeah that's like <laughs> the how vibe. i remember stuff <laughs> yeah and i think that's how kind of like most people do it whether they like it or not whether they're willing to admit it or not i think that um that's like the natural human impulse to a certain extent if you lean into it and it can be very powerful if you are able to really um let yourself have those connections and put them all in one place or make some uncommon string connection that is again the definition of creativity and it really resonates with people and they're like wow that's new and interesting and unique um and I guess yeah I'm I've never been interested in in being somebody who's just like a direct product of their environment and just kind of spitting the same references but better than everyone else like I don't really want to play that game of just like succeeding by the same rule stick as everyone else I'm much more interested in just doing something totally different and like if you really like it amazing if you really don't then that's fine. We yeah. weren't gonna probably get along anyways. And I try to do that both in like my writing and kind of like how I do my fund is I just yeah, I'll ask weird questions. I'll like, I'll always be the person that um is probably better at helping you with like the wordsmithing and brand feedback and and just being like a supportive ear than I am at telling you like, you know, what metrics you should be getting or anything like that. Because I just I'm not like, I'll do I'll I've learned <laughs> about valuation, and all these kinds of things, but it's not the most important thing. And I, I very shamelessly embrace that at mm-hmm. like the earliest stages um, in the way that I invest, because it's just like that's not going to be what sets me apart.
0: Um, I love that. Yeah, very nice. Um, yes. As a as the last question, so we can wrap this up. Is there something beautiful or new that you've discovered lately that you think is just mm-hmm. something random worth sharing? <laughs> yeah.
1: I have recently become obsessed with um, this French mystic and philosopher. Her name is Simone Weil. I think I'm actually pronouncing it wrong. It might be Weil if it's like proper German. I just love her writing. She was like somebody that um, she grew up Jewish. And then she became like really enamored with um, Christianity. And she lived a very like ascetic, very uh, just embodying her values lifestyle. And she was an amazing writer. And she has... I think maybe like five or so books. And there's a lot of books that are like published of her letters. And she just is beautiful with language, like every single sentence captures so much rich humanness. And to me, it's like the definition of, of words that really move both heart and mind. Um, and I think it strikes a lot of chords and says a lot of like timeless wisdom about life. And I think I've, I've overall been very interested in um kind of like, Femininity and just the ways that women see the world, and I think that she is like to me the the best embodiment of of how beautiful that can be and how much meaning it can hold. Um, and so I highly recommend her writing any form of it. I don't even think you need to read the books. I think you can just like look up quotes, and that's enough.
0: <laughs> really? Um, how yeah, beautiful. like
1: that's how amazing. I think that's kind of in my mind too. Really good writers often can be condensed like their their messages can be condensed into like very concentrated forms. And if you want all the extra context and the nutrients as Nietzsche puts it, then you can see them like in their actual um long form prose. but I don't think it's actually necessary. you can you can get most of it. Um so yeah, I highly recommend that. And specifically, there's actually a Twitter bot that's like Simone Wild speaks or something like that. No,
0: of course there is <laughs> It wouldn't be the modern world if there was't.
1: It's amazing though. I highly recommend it. i she that account tweets like every hour and i'm just like god you never miss simone thank you
0: <laughs> that's amazing i'll definitely check <laughs> <Yeah>. that out <laughs> <It's> lovely <laughs> good well thank you so much molly for this conversation i've honestly had a blast talking of to course. you is always such me a too. pleasure um yes what was your remind me again of your sub it was is my is it my mind <laughs> no oh my gosh there's you know, so many totally different
1: links i i do have three substacks.
0: oh that's <laughs> why i'm getting been, confused. i've
1: been getting a lot of feedback that i should have one sub stack i'm not taking that feedback because i like having three but good. um the one i <laughs> recommend is my essays are on mindmud.substack.com and then i do a um, curation newsletter that is usually monthly unless i am busy and then i don't and that is just me sending a bunch of links and it's usually grouped by like human related stuff media related stuff and now it's kind of more investing stuff as well and then I also have a Substack, and that one is called milky milk with a y dot sub and then my last one is for the moth fund I also have published writing that is usually like my quarterly update essays um, and that's mothfund.substack.com um, good so you can so, pick and choose yes. what you want
0: <laughs> the audience can go subscribe to all three
1: sub-stacks. yeah sorry everybody <laughs>
0: <laughs> lovely well thank you so much and Um, Let's do this again on or offline very soon, please. (laughs) I would love that very much. Thank you so much for having me.